I'd like to thank my sponsors, Celsius, Equus, and Round the X for making this episode possible. Stay tuned later in the episode for more info. What is up, everybody? This is Scott Melker, and you're listening to the Wolf of All Streets podcast. Today's guest is a well-known Canadian broadcaster and media personality. Although apparently he was a shy kid, Todd found that he could be himself in front of the camera and microphone and now hosts his own show called The Todd Shapiro Show, which is live every single day in Canada. Beyond his radio career, Todd is the CEO of a company called Red Light Holland, which is famous for its quote-unquote magic truffle. Something I can't wait to ask more questions and learn more about. Todd, man, it's a pleasure to have you. Thanks so much for, for taking the time. Yeah, thank you, Scott, so much. Quick, quick correction. I recently did sort of step away from the radio because nobody told me, no, 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 because the Wikipedia hasn't been updated. That's the, that's the issue here. That No one updated the Wikipedia. So, but it was, I, I, listen, I didn't plan on stepping away from the radio necessarily, but between the anxiety of doing live radio all the time and then, you know, being the CEO of this company, it's like I have shareholders to speak to. And I just felt that like if, if I wasn't in this full time, uh, then I was doing a disservice to them. So no worries on that at all. So Todd Shapiro is a former radio host. <laughs> okay, yeah, I got it. Well, before we get into the questions, I do have to say, once again, you're listening to the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where two times a week, I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, art, trading, music, sports, former radio, and politics. <laughs> yes. So it's powered by Blockworks Group, a media company with over 20 podcasts or network. You can check them out at blockworksgroup.io. And if you like the podcast and you follow me on Twitter, need to check out my website and join my newsletter where I share all my insight. That's at thewolfofallstreets.io. And now back to what's important. So Todd, I heard that your mom didn't think you were even responsible enough to take care of a dog. So how is Hoffy doing? Unreal, man. I love the research. That is fully <laughs> accurate. Yeah. Back in, it must've been about 2007. My mother came on. We, we were, we we're sort of a zoo crewish type of morning show back in the day. I was just the co-host of it. And, and I was kind of the playboy, you know, I was the guy that like lived downtown Toronto and the condo scene as it started developing, you know, club scene just started meeting like the booths and bottle service. I was all kind of new then. Kids forget these days yeah. how, how hard it was to meet ladies yes. until the booth service came around. So <laughs> swipe right. Yeah, I mean, right. We couldn't, we couldn't swipe right. I had to actually <laughs> talk to a girl if I wanted her to be interested in me. Crazy. I know. <laughs> I know. Unreal. So long story short, I was living this bachelor style life um, and, and it wasn't bringing me much fulfillment other than maybe an hour a night. But um, <laughs> the, the, my mom came on the radio one day, I forget why. And, and she literally on the radio to over a million people was like, my son can't even take care of a dog. So just to prove her wrong, I, I got a little Yorkshire Terrier, uh, maybe the next week and he's still alive today. He's 13 years old and, and he, we forget him uh, about him a little bit cause we do have kids now, but I mean, he is awesome. He's strong. And uh, thank you for asking. Hoffy is just you great. Showed, you showed her. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But I, I think she likes the dog more than me now. So the dog's probably in the will and not myself. Well, my parents like my wife more than they like me. So we had the same situation out there. My mom literally one day said, if you ever mess this up, we're keeping her and we're getting rid of you. So <laughs> I guess it's a credit uh, that I should take that as a compliment in some crooked way, I'm sure. So, well, so how did, go ahead. Oh, I was just, is her name Emmy or Amy? like, is it Emmy? Is, it is Emmy. Emmy. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't Emmy. sure to pronounce exactly. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. You got it. Um, Very cool. And so how did your career in radio begin? I mean, you know, we read that you were kind of a shy kid or at least that's what you say. And so it seems like a sort of opposing uh, career to, to end up in for someone who's, who's shy. 
Yeah, listen, I really appreciate you asking, actually. Um, you know, it takes me back a lot. So, I, I, you know, it's not that I was necessarily shy, but I was uncomfortable with cameras and microphones. So maybe in like my circle, my group of friends, I was, you know, the outgoing guy at the bar or whatever, but not away from it. I was super insecure and shy. Like it was just the people I was comfortable with. And to be honest, my friends pushed me a lot to get into entertainment. And, and you know, they, they were kind of like, you should do more you uh, for everybody else other than just our little group here, you know, passing the joints around in a garage or whatever in the day. And, and long story short, Scott, there were, do you remember that show Blind Date? Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah. I mean, the pop-up was, bubbles and everything. Yeah. So that show was amazing. Honestly, of all dating shows, they really nailed it because of the third party commentary kind of as you stated, it, but it, it, anyway. no, it was, and, and, you know, Roger Lodge was the guy I, I think. And so, you know, us being in Toronto and, you know, I know probably most of your, your listeners and, and viewers here are American, but you know, Toronto's a big city if you haven't been. And, and it was a very big developing city at the time and, and blind date came to Toronto and my buddies were then like, you should try out for blind date. To make a really long story short, I ended up getting on the show of Blind Date. I was one of like five Toronto couples that was featured on it. And, and where it leads back to radio is there was a local radio station at the time that was doing like promos with the TV station of the Toronto daters to say, hey, later today, watch Blind Date on you know, your local channel. And, and I entered the radio world that way. I mean, I was in school for media at the time now, back in college, but that's where my internship started right after that show. And I stayed on that main station. It's called 102.1 The Edge in Toronto. I stayed there. I ended up staying there for 14 years. Wow, that's an incredible long career. But now, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, you that was probably a very comfortable career and a hell of a lot of fun. And you, as you mentioned at the beginning, you've now for foregone that to focus on this other career. That's ballsy. Yeah, man. You know, it's really interesting. I, I did it for 14 years there. I left and did my own thing on Sirius XM for seven years. Right. And the way I structured Sirius though was, was, and I think you'll really appreciate this as an entrepreneur, is I actually structured a deal with them where, where some of my expenses were paid for and my, my producers were paid for and stuff, but I actually owned the commercial inventory meaning I just wanted more control, meaning I didn't, right. I didn't want an advertiser to say they didn't like what I heard, so then pull the advertisement because of it. This way I could work with advertisers that I knew. So I sort of ran that radio show like a bit. I mean, not sort of, I did. I ran it like a yeah. business. I had to eat what I killed. And through that, I became really focused on things like you know, because I had to approach clients all the time. So I, I became focused on emerging industries, Bitcoin being one of them, uh, cannabis, of course, in Canada being, you know, the second main one because they, that, you know, industry was emerging at a very rapid pace in this country. And I started to work with companies in both those different areas. And, and I, I, I became really ingrained in through it all because most of these were companies, whether it was Bitcoin or altcoins that you could trade or then cannabis companies that would work with me that you could trade. So uh, on the stock market. So I became kind of, and I'm very inexperienced. I've never been a good day trader, but I became kind of a day trader um, because I wanted to also support the companies. But then I'm like, oh, I can make quick money here. And then so I started to just fall in love with capital markets is without any degrees, without any backgrounds, without any MBA or, you know, business behind me. And, um, you know, I, I fell into it. I'm not sure how you fell into it as a, you know, former DJ DJ, but that, that was sort of my thing. 
I think a lot of people uh, fall into trading in ways like that. I don't think it requires a an education in economics or in finance to, to be a good trader. There's a famous quote. It's like 90% of uh, what you need in trading, you learn, you know, in kindergarten or by the time you're in fifth grade or something. <laughs> I, I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down more, to, I think, to temperament than intelligence. And so I, I think that, uh, I think you're right. I don't think you need that sort of background. I mean, I fell into it because it was just something I did on the side and then something I became much more passionate about after I had kids and, you know, retired from that other thing and was like, wow, I need a way to really like make money and take this seriously and trading. Um, in a lot of ways, the lifestyle reminded me of what I had before the sort of freedom to make my own hours and things like that. So it was very attractive to me from a lifestyle perspective, even more than from the job. And I think you just like get tired of losing money and hopefully get good at it eventually. <laughs> well, no, for sure. And then, you know, the interesting thing is I, I, I think the radio show host in me came, came out to the fact where I started to do deep dives more than, than just trading, but more deep dives in like, how do the capital markets work? How, if I ever wanted to raise money with an idea, could I take a company public? And I think that's what's led me into this next chapter in my life because um, I realized that I could go out and raise money and I could take a company public. Stuff, Scott, I swear to God, three years ago would have never even been on my radar. Your mom didn't even think you could keep a dog alive. <laughs> Don't tell my investors that. Stop reminding them. I'm sorry, everybody. I, we can always edit and, 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 you know, we can go back and just take those parts out. But so that's really interesting. So let's get into that then. So obviously, as I touched on, you have Red Light Holland. Um, what is it? Uh, where, you know, where do you stand in the process and uh, just give us the, the whole background. For sure. Thank you. And, and speaking of emerging industries, it's, it's really interesting now what I'm doing. So Red Light Holland is a publicly traded company. It's on the Canadian Securities Exchange under TRIP. It's on the OTCs under TRUFF, T-R-U-F-F. Uh, it's even in the German exchange on 4YX. And, and it's in the psychedelic sector. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give a quick little story and, and you know, listen, Part of my job, and I'm sure you see this in your industry, man, like, like we're, as human beings, we, you know, we, we pretend everyone's doing okay, but the more you get to know people and the more you're personal with people, you realize a lot of us aren't doing okay. And, and, you know, I'd like to think I'm very fortunate because, you know, I'm a very outgoing guy, I wear my emotions on my sleeve and, you know, I, I, I tend to open up a lot easier, which I think allows others to open up. And, through opening up to each other, especially doing radio and sitting with people exactly like we're sitting now, you know, talking for a good amount of time and long form conversation, you start to realize people are really depressed or really anxious or, or going through tough times. And sadly, man, everyone seems to know someone who's taken their life or, or like this crazy stuff, you know, like just really sad stuff. So the radio and me did this deep dive on what can help? Like, what can really try to help this world? And, and I kept coming back to psilocybin. Like, you know, big pharma's not helping, prescriptions, you know, uh, you know whether it's these Ativans or Adderalls or for pain management, opioids, like we all know that crisis. And I just fell in love with the idea of magic mushrooms and psilocybin trying to help people. So I, of course, 
started to use it a little bit more. Not like the tripped out days I did in college. I would, you know, get access to it and microdose. <laughs> and, and man, anecdotally, I can tell you, Scott, like, and I don't know if you've ever microdosed. I'm sure as a, you know, club I have DJ. not actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah? I, okay. I, have not, I have not microdosed only because it, I think it became a thing way after, like, um, I was already in college and through the, uh, I guess, conventional experimental phase, being in my 40s and stuff. But I am very interested in it and have heard quite a bit about it. Yeah. And, and, and it was sort of this buzzword. So, you know, again, I, as a company, I can't ever make medical claims. Uh, but, you know, as, as, as Todd Shapiro is someone who used this before I started a company, I was like, holy fuck, this is working for me. Like, this is helping with my focus. This is helping me park my anxiety and my fears, which still exist. They're still there. But, you know, it allows me to get along with my day knowing that like some of them are rational or some of them I can't control anyway. So, you know, just live your life. And then it helped me most importantly with connectivity. And it's really interesting you mentioned the kids because I have the one-year-old and the five-year-old, you know, uh, likewise like, like you. Yeah. And, and it was like, I was sort of weird, like I'm an old guy trying to microdose, but with the kids, I really connected. It's like you see life through their eyes almost like much more, at least for me, open. I was much more spent time. I wasn't so worried about the next thing. I was just worried about, not worried. I was excited to live in the moment. So I became super passionate to the point of like, this is it, man. I'm telling this experience to the world and I'm going to try and raise money in the psychedelic sector. But no one was going to take Todd Shapiro as a radio show host, because I was still doing radio at the time. Seriously, if I said I'm going to be the next big medical and scientific research company, and there's a lot of like <laughs> compass pathways or whatever, like the, this isn't just what a guy wearing a ball cap could go and raise money to do. So I quickly, you know, remembered how I'd been in Netherlands, tried the truffles in the day, uh, spoke to other people who, you know, travel a lot to Europe. And, and in the Netherlands, the magic truffle is a product that you can get in the Netherlands legally right now. Right. Um, you can't get magic mushrooms, but you can get magic truffles. And, you know, listen, it's, 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 some say it's a gray area. It's not. It's a legal product. It's, it's a product that, through our legal opinions, are there. So I was like, well, why don't we start in the Netherlands where I can brand, and that's what you see behind me, a product, and we can do it very responsibly, not promote it the way it's sort of being promoted now, which is buy it in 15 or 30 grams and go and get tripped out and have this crazy experience, but start it as a natural microdose because, Scott, I can only sell it in its raw, unprocessed, natural form. So in the truffle you form itself. You can't alter it at all. Yes, exactly. Interesting. You can't, you can't extract it. You can't put it in a capsule. You can't, you can't even put it in chocolate. So, wow. <laughs> Um, yeah, long story short, I raised 4 million Canadian. So it's like 12 bucks a year currency or something. Yeah, but. it's like 1350. <laughs> Don't sell yourself short. We're, we're devaluing right now. And, and you know, we, we quickly went to see if we could take this company public and the Canadian Securities Exchange worked very closely with us, but a lot of back and forth. It's not easy. Um, and we took the company public, Red Light Holland, and we're at a point now where we've been trading for, I guess, five and a half months. And, and um, we've developed this brand, the iMicrodose brand, and I'll explain the VR headset to you in a moment, um, that is now currently in seven different smart shops in the Netherlands. And there's a website online called iMicrodose.nl, where if you're in the Netherlands and you're 18 plus, you can buy our product now. So you're trading publicly on the Canadian Stock Exchange, but the product is primarily being marketed and sold in the Netherlands. 
That's correct. That's sort of the only, I say sort of, because we will look to explore other markets, but for now, it's the market that we're testing. It's the market that I can do so. Um, and, and it's a product on, on shelves in fridges, actually. You have to keep it in a fridge because you have to keep it, uh, because of its raw form, right. you, have to keep it, you have to keep it fresh. I don't want to assume that everyone here is even superficially familiar with microdosing. Right, because I don't think that it's reached uh, mainstream in the way that maybe we think it has. Like I hear about it all the time, but I don't know that like uh, everyone has. So, can you talk about what microdosing is in general, and just kind of start from the beginning and why this is so interesting? Definitely. Um, you know, all one has to do is I encourage people to like Google microdose or hashtag microdose because this is the part I hate, by the way, about being a publicly traded company. If I was private, I think I could really tell you more about what I think microdosing can do. But I have to be careful because I can't be leading. I can't be, you know, forward looking. I have to, I have to basically, you know, tell you, I can't make these medical claims. Uh, I can just share with you anecdotal stories and stories of what people are, are talking about for microdosing. And listen, it always seems to come back to people taking small amounts. And in my case, it would be psilocybin. We're not talking about MDMA or LSD or the other things that people microdose. In this case, it's psilocybin, whether it's magic truffles or magic mushrooms. And it's really the, it's, it's all part of the same family. Let's just put it that way. It's a little bit confusing how the sclerotia will have an underground kind of form of the truffle before it becomes the stem or the cap, but it actually creates its own food source. That's the truffle. It never actually sees the light of day. Um, and and uh, those are what's legal in the Netherlands. That's a really quick, you know, mycologist right. might not say, it's more detailed, right. but anyway. Yeah. Um, psilocybin used in very small dosages seems to help with this stuff I spoke of earlier, clarity and focus, connectivity, uh, you know, helping with anxiety, depression even. And, and I don't know, man, I don't know, Scott, if you know people who do it, but it, it, it seems do. to be, I just, I say like, I'm so bullish on it, right? In terms of its positivity. Um, you know, separate from the stock. Okay. I'm just talking about the product. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, it's really, really sad on what's going on here with the mental health crisis and COVID is not helping obviously. <laughs> no. Um, and I just want people to be educated and informed and through responsible use. I'm under the personal belief because of how it's helped me on how microdosing can I really believe will eventually be proven out in the science and the, and, and the medical field to show that it can help indeed. So you take very small doses on a regular basis, sort of as if it was a medication, like maybe do you take it like 8 a.m. every day or something like that? I mean, is it something that you do every single day in a tiny dose? So there are different protocols. And, you know, the protocol that we recommend is a very simple one. It's a very simplified one, which would be one day on, you take a gram of a truffle, but keep in mind, that's only about 10%, eight to 11% of that would be the psilocybin content. So you're right. not talking a huge amount. Then right. you would take two days off and then you would do one day on again. Um, that's sort of just a simple recommended uh, version of it. And, and again, you, would, you wouldn't do it every other, every, every second day, every fourth day, basically. You would find what works for you. You can build up a tolerance to it. Of course. So a lot of the individuals and the big pioneers, like a guy like Paul Stamets, you may have heard him talk about it. He's got his own protocol. Other individuals like um, Paul Austin from the Third Wave's got protocols. Everyone talks about, you know, their microdose and some even promote a hero dose. We don't promote the hero dose. Um, 
we just think that people can ease into it, find what works for them, and then we want to actually get information from them eventually to see what does work for them, to help be a part of the science to prove out. So, I mean, uh, do you find that people even from the very beginning are functional or do like, does it take some getting used to in the first day you're like talking to pink elephants in the, in the dark bathroom or is it really so little that like um, it has a similar boost to, you know, maybe someone who's ADHD and takes Ritalin or so, you know, a similar kind of uh, effect. Yeah. And again, without making any medical claims, I'm so sorry for sort of I, I have these to disclaimers. Ask, so I know you have yeah. to give the disclaimers, but uh, yeah, for I sure. And I, it sounds, I don't want it to sound corny because no. I, I try no, to be as authentic it. as I can, but I, I have to do that stuff. The, you know, I would say that out of everyone I know, and now I'm talking about in like the hundreds of samples, yeah. it seems to overwhelmingly have the same effect for everyone, which is immediate, which is immediate in you're not seeing pink elephants you're not you're not getting distorted views of lights and your phone's not bending on you and things like this it's it's almost like an after effect that later you're like my goodness i really enjoyed last night i really sat with my wife and we had a two-hour conversation and no one put up their guard and no one no one we didn't freak out if the baby was crying in the other room we just sort of enjoyed living in that moment uh, I enjoyed the day after. They call it the glow period, where you just felt more relaxed. So, uh, you know, I, I, I said earlier about the kids, like you, you sort of see life through kids' eyes, meaning like it takes off some tension for some reason, at least in the people Huge. I've spoken with. And it's not, your life isn't distorted. It's not, things aren't weird or crazy. You just, what I think it is personally, and I hope the science proves this out one day, and this is where I get passionate, I think we're actually all egotistical human beings. I think we're like super self-indulgent. I think we've all wanted to become the next Instagram success story or the next, you know, like I need likes and I need this and I need that. And we become so self-indulged that we forget about our outside environments, including our family, including our dogs, including, you know, we're, 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 we're living in this like, you know, virtual world where we want our success. And for me, what I think the microdose is doing is it's taking off focus on us meaning, you know, each, our individual selves, meaning us, and allowing you to focus on other things that you normally, especially us growing up in the 80s, would focus on because things around us, playing catch no. with your buddies, creating the next song, looking at the trees and not going, man, they're ants coming to eat us. They're actually just beautiful. Like, look, at, look up once in a while. When's the last time people looked at stars? So I think it's taking focus off of us, and I think it's allowing us to appreciate the elements and the things that mean a lot to us around us better. And I, I think it's such, I think it's so beautiful. Sorry, I'm talking a lot. I apologize. No, uh, that's actually what you're supposed to do. So <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, I, I mean, it's a really interesting take because I think anyone with young kids, as you touched on, we both have five and one-year-olds. So we're really, you know, we're really paddling the same boat here. And sorry to interrupt, um, you're an Air Jordan lover and so am I. I'm like, man, uh, I love I this guy. like a thousand hats. That's my, I have a weird head. So hats don't. <laughs> fit me right unfortunately or i would but um but it's interesting because i think that any parent especially maybe of kids that age pro probably finds it very difficult to connect with them or very difficult at least to turn off as you said everything else that's going on and really get down on their level and like play right my daughter's like come play such and such with me and it's like or I can like look at the price of Bitcoin, but I have to force myself to put the phone down and pretend that I'm, you know, one of the Incredibles or whatever her fantasy of the date is. And I would love help doing that, you know, getting into that headspace because I find that it's almost like time for her to go to sleep by the time I finally come around. So it really is interesting. And I think 
you touched on uh, probably a big problem that a lot of parents have. And then you talk about our childhood where we didn't have any distractions, right? I mean, like you said, I mean, I just had to come home before like it got dark. I was just out in the neighborhood all afternoon playing sticks with sticks as guns and pine cones as baseballs. And that, I mean, it sounds so ridiculous, but it was amazing. Yeah. Uh, and listen, you, like it actually makes me emotional to hear you talk like that because, and by the way, um, the when I was doing some of the odd Bitcoin trading and altcoin trading, that's a that's a market that never ends. So I can't even imagine right. the pressure that that yeah. uh, it's too. It, it, I remember, you know, I was like looking at it over my Christmas holidays once. I'm like, this is too much for me. I can't. Like, I just wasn't putting it away. Um, yeah. And you know the. <laughs> It's crazy, but like the kids, you you just go, my goodness, like, because sometimes I go, I'll get angry at my five year old or lose patience with oh, him, same. you know. And, and and then you're like, well, why would I even ever lose pace? Five years old, like he knows nothing else other than what pops in his head at that moment. And he just wants and, to, and like she just wants to play with me. Ex- so it's like exa- it's not none of it is misguided or you know it's whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it does. I honestly, man, it 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 it, it like. This I would actually say concretely because I'll tell you for me and other parents I know it like it does it makes you just like really want to go my goodness I'll put all that other stuff aside because it is the most important thing and and people around you are the most important thing whether they're kids or your wife or you know even you know microdose and go see your grandma maybe I don't know but like <laughs> how about like driving and you know doing uh, adult things when you're doing it is there any sort of uh legal implications to that? Is it considered under the influence? Is it, is it a small enough dose that it's not and you can basically fully function just with this slight edge? It's, it's a really good question. On the product side of things, we sort of say avoid the heavy machinery, right? Yeah. Like you, you avoid, <laughs> avoid, avoid. kind of like you would Big when you're... T- yeah, or, you know, just you avoid... You're smoking avoid, weed. Yeah, yeah same, same thing. And listen, I wouldn't encourage anyone ever driving um uh, uh, doing that with that being said it does make it seem like it's a drug and then it would have these effects on you so it's kind of this interesting balance here like well well i thought you just said it makes you live in the moment and more focused why wouldn't you say not to drive i think part of that is i'm a publicly traded company so i have to tell yeah, you that i was gonna say uh, <laughs> legally i would think that's pretty much the message right yeah yeah and, and listen you know there are some scientists so if you ask them they're like well what if you had four cups of coffee and drove? What if you had seven energy drinks? Like, is that stimulating you too much to be driving? Um, what if you, you know, so, you know, what, what if you were just literally working for two straight days and, and then drove sleep. a vehicle? Yeah. So that's worse. You, you know, be careful. You know, I wouldn't say drive, but, but uh, we'll leave it at be that. Be a responsible human person. Yes. Yes. So you talked about obviously the, the distinction between the truffle and the, the mushroom. Is it, is there some like legal grounding that says if it's underground, you can use it. And if it's above ground, you can't, I've heard something to that effect. Yeah. In, in, in 2008, they uh, sort of introduced the magic mushroom into the opium act. Um, and, and, and the opium act is sort of banned substances they never put the truffle on the banned substance list. So, and in 08, you know, listen, it, it, it was, um, you know, put on there. There were some incidents that were negative incident, incidents around the magic mushroom. And, and what I would say is this, is that when reported incidents of, of sort of any vice, meaning, Scott, do you know what, what the World Health Organization would, would attest to alcohol-related deaths around the globe per year? Would you, would you have uh, a number of mine? 
I don't have a number, but I know that it's absurdly higher than any of the other substances that we're talking about. Th th approximately 3 million people. Um, it, it, you know, obviously saw what happened, the opioid crisis we saw. So, you know, I think it was an unfortunate stigma. And actually that gets me a, in a little bit to Red Light Hall and the naming of the company, which is sort of interesting, which is, it wasn't just to kind of capitalize on that being a known district and a known name. Um, the, the origins of the red light district are actually quite wonderful. It was to end stigmas around sex work. It was to protect women in particular around sex work. It was to regulate an industry and it was to, in another way was to pay your, you know, you're supposed to pay your taxes. So the government's can, you know, like, like it's a business that, that you, you file for And You know, for us, the magic truffles are a regulated industry. You pay a VAT tax. It's quite expensive actually in the Netherlands. Yeah, it's that's, 21%. Yeah. I want to end a stigma around it, which is about the microdose and responsible use factor. And, and uh, you know, let's, let's sort of protect people in this industry carefully and, you know, make sure they're guided correctly. So, um, you know, I sort of went off topic, but, you know, that no, this sort of leads us into where we are. Perfect. So, uh, obviously, and you can do it in, in Holland. What does it look like, I guess, what is the regulatory landscape for expanding beyond there? I mean, do you have to literally, like, lead the charge and make sure that the laws are changed like, do you have to do that yourself or do you see that there's progress towards that and you're willing to, you know, build this company on the back of what you see coming? It's a little bit of both. So, of course, you know, we would think of ourselves as lobbyists and, and I don't want to confuse that with pioneers or, or long-term advocates who I admire, by the way. You know, there are individuals in the psychedelic space, much like there was in the cannabis space, that super paved the way for these things to happen long-term and, 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 you know, become legal, especially in Canada here. And sometimes the advocates and the pioneers, they don't actually like the corporate guys who come in, raise money, try to market a brand and try to, you know, like uh, make investors money, obviously, and, and, and try to grow it that way. What I'd like to say is you need capital to, to have a successful business. And you also need capital to help with the regulatory frameworks because the legal opinions and, and legalities into not only having a publicly traded company, but to ensure that these jurisdictions are actually legal where they say they are legal are friggin' expensive. Yeah. So we're not like just the wild west of, oh, I'll start a website because it says we can sell this stuff. Um, so we're doing it all like being self-regulatory then having regulatory bodies look at us. And, and, you know, ultimately we do think there will be other markets that open up. Um, right now, anyone can Google and see that they say it's legal in Brazil. They say it's legal in Bulgaria. They say that magic mushrooms are legal in Jamaica. Uh, certain other areas, even Mexico, there's some interesting laws that say that it could be done favorably. So, of course, as a company, we would want to expand this brand that we're testing slowly in the Netherlands, ultimately to other uh, countries that would allow for it. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, do you think that there's a future where this becomes like big pharma, you know, uh, the FDA approves it and one of these huge companies steps in and starts marketing it in some way, shape or form? Or do you think that we're so far away from that because of e either the stigma or just the, you know, lack of research or, or whatever it is? It's, an, it's also an amazing question. And listen, I totally believe that the research into the medical and scientific side of, of in my case, psilocybin, with, which is what I understand, but then there's other psychedelics, as I mentioned earlier, um, need to be done. Um, my fear is this. I worry that if it's only a medical product and they don't look at it as recreational, like we do with cannabis in Canada, where it started off medically and became recreationally available and still is and will always be. I think that 
we are doing a disservice to the humans that want it, meaning that in responsible use and for adults who want to find access to magic mushrooms, they're going to find access anyway. Right. You shouldn't so, need a prescription. Right. You should, I, I'm a, you've got to give the people what they want. It's about education and information though, and make sure they're using the stuff correctly. Because by the way, big pharma, as great as it is, it can also be terrible. I think and it's it can more also, terrible. <laughs> right? Uh, and, 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 no, I, and, and not only that, it's an elite person's game. How many people have access to doctors? How many people have a time to spend two hours to see a doctor, get a prescription filled without it impacting the rest of the day because it's taking time away from work? And it becomes a farce anyways because then doctors just start practices where they say, yeah, you have glaucoma, you're medically in need. And, and it's not, I mean, it doesn't serve the original intent anyways. And I'm not saying there's even anything wrong with those Doctors, by the way, because I, I believe that marijuana should be completely legal everywhere, honestly. But you just kind of, the government forces this like secondary market where people are just going to make sure it's readily available anyways under the guise of the law. So, I mean, as you said, it's, it's just a big, you know, it's the pulling, pulling the wool over your eyes anyways. And you're right. And ultimately, it's still, you know, individuals capitalizing on it. I mean, you know, whether it's governments or big pharma or the doctors that you mentioned prescribing it. And, um, you know, it, it's, 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 so it's really interesting and really delicate, but I always say you give the people what they want. And what I feel Scott is, is different from the days when we grew up was social movements are super powerful these days too, as we all know. And, and, and traditionally they're powerful for a positive reason. You know, some I see some is, is terror as is, is not right. And, and, and mostly say, wow, this is progressing this world. We're giving a voice to communities who've needed a voice forever. And that to me is the most important thing. And I think you're going to see a voice of people who go, I want my plant-based or fungi-based medicines. And I just want it because it's given to us. It's coming from the earth. It's, you know, not being manipulated with, we know what we're getting and, and it's helping my aunt. It's helping, you know, my brother and I want it to help me. So I think a social movement over the next few years will be very powerful when it comes to psilocybin in my prediction and that, that people are buying it illegal anyway. You know, they're getting it illicitly through, through websites. There's no crackdowns. And to add to that, I also think that this defund the police movement, whatever anyone's views are on that. And by the way, I can say I'm a strong supporter of police because <laughs> I'm not brave enough to ever do anything like that. <laughs> but when it comes to defund the police movements, where I think it's, it's responsible is to defund the, 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 the police against things like, you know, these, these petty drug crimes, you know, like having some magic mushrooms or having some cannabis. And, you know, we're going to see less crackdowns on these types of stuff, meaning more favorable ways to legalize it and then let the governments make their tax dollars on it, I say. Roundthex.com is one of my favorite companies in the entire crypto space. What they do is take all your small purchases and round them up to the nearest dollar and invest that spare change into any of over 30 crypto assets of your choice. They integrate with your favorite exchanges so that you can view various exchange balances all in one dashboard and round up into different assets all at the same time, and they do all this without ever holding any of your Bitcoin. This is by far the best way to dollar cost average into Bitcoin. Go to roundthex.com and use the promo code WOLF for $4 in free Bitcoin after making your first roundup or purchase. That's R-O-U-N-D-L-Y-X.com and code WOLF for $4 in free Bitcoin. Diginex is making huge moves and is soon to be the first crypto exchange listed on the NASDAQ. This means that people will finally be able to invest on a platform they're comfortable with without being directly exposed to Bitcoin. Absolutely massive for mainstream adoption. Diginex has basically everything investors need under a single roof, including an institutional-grade exchange called Equus. 
Equus allows institutional and retail investors alike access to an exchange that's on par with platforms they've come to trust in other markets. This means they are compliant with regulation, transparent and fair with regards to fees and orders, secure and far ahead of the curve in regards to innovation. Go to equus.com slash wolf to get 5% off trading fees. That's E-Q-U-O-S dot com slash W-O-L-F to get 5% off of your trading fees. Sign up now. Unless you've been living under a rock, you've heard about the DeFi craze in crypto. By far the safest and simplest way to passively earn in the space is to hold your coins on Celsius. You can earn your rewards in the same crypto you're holding, or you can earn even more in their sell token. Right now, I choose to earn 5% on Ethereum in Ethereum and 15% on my stable coins in sell token. It's a little bit better than the sub 1% interest rates you can earn in a legacy bank account. Celsius was founded with the belief that crypto is the opportunity to really shake up the financial system. They're changing the standards for all financial services. They share 80% of their revenue in the form of weekly reward payments. That's how their users are earning up to 15% APY with compounding rewards. They also commit to providing the lowest cost loans on the market. Their loans start at just 1% APR. For just 1% interest, you can borrow cash against your crypto and avoid selling, which also eliminates the taxable event. It's absolutely huge. High rewards on your holdings and low interest on loans on a platform whose mission you can believe in. Celsius is giving $20 to every new user that joins with promo code WOLF. Just enter the code in the app during registration. $20 is awarded after 30 days of maintaining a wallet balance of $200 or more. Visit celsius.network, that's C-E-L-S-I-U-S dot network, and use promo code WOLF, W-O-L-F. Yeah, I mean, they're making their money on the war on drugs instead of doing it the more obvious way by just letting people have what they want in a sensible manner and taxing it. I mean, I've always, I wrote a paper in like, I think I wrote a paper in college on legalizing marijuana, but I did this thing in Florida when I was a kid in high school. It was called Ledge, and they sent uh, Floridian high school students up to the Florida House of Congress, and we got to pretend to be congressmen basically for three days, so whatever. And the bill I tried to pass was legalizing prostitution. I was 17 years old. People thought I was completely nuts, but I went in front of the house in Florida, all the adults, the congressmen everywhere, and all the kids, and I presented a case for legalizing prostitution based on the ability to tax the, the revenue primarily. So, I mean, I've been a proponent of this forever. They thought I was nuts. Like I was a, a kid in Tallahassee. You're a visionary <laughs> though. I mean, no, but this is why you have an amazing following and this is why you like these kind of nascent industries and emerging industries and ready to take risk with them and stuff because the system that has been taught to us is not the system in my mind that is working. And, and it's a flawed system and it's just about stigmas and it's about like wrapping your brain around, well, why do we think the way we've been wired to think? And, and once you wrap your brain around that and go, wow, I can think alternatively to just what's been told to me. I mean, this is, you know, you've been doing it obviously since you were 17 and I love these types of sort of creative thoughts as kids, but then, wow, can we make this into viable businesses or viable ideas that governments follow along and regulate? So I applaud that, man. I, I think that's super cool that you, you obviously always thought this way. So you, you mentioned stigmas. Aren't there some crazy conspiracy theories around mushrooms and psychedelics and kind of this movement? Listen, there's, there's, there's you know, I'm not a big hero dose guy. Where, Can you, you know, explain the hero dose, by the way? Of course. Yeah. Where you would take a shit ton of mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot of these guided therapy 
uh, institutes coming up now, uh, whether it's synthesis, I can never say that word. Um, you might have seen the, uh, the Goop uh, Lab with Gwyneth Paltrow. It was like a show on Netflix and they go to Jamaica and, and do these heavy doses of psilocybin and they go into deep, dark depths of their past, uh, their emotional kind of, you know, uh, attack, you know, attaching to their emotional being and then trying to let it out and explore who they are. Listen, to me, this is a lot. And, and maybe it's because I'm a very self-deprecating, open, honest guy and always dealt, I, I, you know, I, I'm neurotic by nature. So I deal with the shit as it happens. Um, I think that this is some of the stuff that people believe psychedelics is really good for, these uprooted, you know, issues that you can overcome. Listen, Scott, I, you know, one of the things I, you know, also got me into this is I did speak to an individual. He's a former uh, hockey player, uh, Dan Carcillo. He won three Stanley Cups, I believe, all with the Chicago Blackhawks. And, and, and he was a goon on the ice. He was like a dude. He's nicknamed the car bomb. He was a guy that would like, he's a crazy lunatic yeah. and maniac. Checking squad. Yes. He <laughs> Checking like, line, yeah. <laughs> and, and, oh, yeah, and fighting and getting hit in the head too many times. And, you know, a bit of an abusive past that he spoke of, especially within, you know, growing up in the hockey system and stuff and yeah. crazy stuff. He says he attributes taking a hero dose of magic mushrooms to saving his life, meaning he was suicidal. Um, and here's a guy who won three Stanley Cups and was probably worth, you know, at least in the day, millions of dollars based on his contracts that were disclosed. So, you know, you hear these stories of, and he also talks about how it reverses brain patterns. And, you know, that's where the science comes into it, which has helped his concussion syndrome and CTE and stuff. So really interesting science will go into it. Listen, I just want to be careful with the microdose brand for now because this is where my understanding is and I don't right. want to fool anybody. So when you ask me about, you know, the experiences of some, I say, you know, you start, start, start slow, go, go, start slow, go low. What's the expression? Start low, go slow. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a roommate actually who, and now I'm blanking on the shaman's name, the famous guy uh, who followed him, went to like the desert in Mexico and did the whole, I think it was primarily peyote and psilocybin, but that, you know, and then every once in a while, he was another fellow DJ. We were living in Philadelphia and he would like tell me he was off out for the day and not to make any noise. And he would lock himself in like a pitch black closet and do mushrooms. Sounds I, terrifying. I, <laughs> I, I, it's terrifying yeah, um, to me, you know, but like, um, Sounds, you know, sounds scary, but I, I do know, I know a lot of people who have, you know, done heavy psychedelics who say it's sort of like, there's two kinds of people in the world, those who have and those who haven't done it. And the, you know, how it sort of expands your mind and opens your perspective. But I think that certainly for like a brand like you to, or any of these to recommend that hero dose, people can trip out. I mean, yeah, there, there's a very, very, very realistic possibility that those people, especially if they're older and really have mental problems, could like have a very, very bad experience or just end up puking for seven hours. <laughs> yeah. And listen, you do have to be careful, especially, you know, if you're if you're, you know, suffer from bipolarism or, or if you, um, you know, are using other medications or especially if you're pregnant, all this kind yeah, of stuff. Like, you, oh know, they, yeah. you know, so people do have to be very careful. I will say that. But listen, I tripped out when I was in college with buddies and we would do it. Once a year, we would go north of Toronto, more in nature, and 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 you know, generally around people, there were pleasant experiences there. I don't know. My older age doesn't want to go deep into that anymore. That way, I, mean, I think it's because the kids are around, and you know, we're so busy yeah. as it is. I can't. I don't have a day to recover. You know, like no. So I think the microdoses no. will be really interesting for people to learn more about, and and especially you know, uh, maybe it's actually a cool time for me to mention why I got this big headset behind me. Yeah, please do. <laughs> 
Because one of the things I want to be innovative and, you know, you as an innovative guy and tech guy in a way, like, you know, understanding all this stuff, how people connect these days is we want to create headsets. So we've hired a company called Radix Motion. Uh, it's a really cool scientist named Sarah Hashkes is, is, is runs the company. And she also wrote a paper on psilocybin in the Netherlands uh, when she graduated university about how it connects to the brain receptors and all this kind of stuff. Amazing things. She's creating this, uh, this headset for us right now where eventually it'll be in the smart shops where we sell the truffle. Customers can come put it on. I guess they got to wipe it down now because of COVID pretty good. But you, you, you put In it Amsterdam, on. Amsterdam, you wipe everything down, even pre-COVID, man. Come on. So true, so true. Um, and and it, it will educate you on the truffle and its origins, but it will also sort of, through VR, virtual reality, put your mind into the space of what it will feel like to be microdosing. And we want to be that responsible oh, as a company to say, like, by the way, if you don't like that experience, you shouldn't buy our product. Like if it didn't, you know, if it just didn't work for you in a way that felt positive. Um, and these are the types of things on how proactive we're trying to be as a company. And listen, the tech side of things can really relate because you can one day potentially consume data from that too, which, which could be used for intellectual property, then to help prove out studies and help really with digital medicine in a way. It's interesting. So how do you I mean, you obviously describe the experience as more just like a focus and obviously maybe like you're more in tune with your environment and, and awareness. How do you uh, replicate that digitally? Like, how do you give that experience through the headset or is that you, you, you leave that to the professionals? And <laughs> it's, it's an amazing question. Elon Musk once said, you know, I don't have a Harvard degree, but everyone I hire does. And uh, <laughs> listen, so, I, so true. I, so, so I'd like to think I, I'm trying to be an idea guy here. Sarah could explain that to you. Um, I'm, you know, it's interesting, right? As we speak, we're going through the script of it all and, and how it works, but um I, I'm more than anyone excited to try it on to be able to share you with that answer more more on a user experience as opposed to how did they program it to do that. Are there a lot of uh, physicians who are starting to take interest in this and and sort of uh, push the push the narrative? Obviously, like in the marijuana business, you know the the science is there and and it's really is psilocybin kind of like the stepchild right now that's not getting the attention or is it starting to really get that sort of build with the scientists and the doctor community? Yeah, I think we're seeing people supporting it a lot more in Canada. I actually apologize. I forget if I said this already. They, they granted compassionate grounds access. Did I, did I explain no, that to you yet? No, you did not mention no. that. Go ahead, yeah, please. Really interesting. Just about seven or eight weeks ago, our health minister in Canada granted compassionate grounds access for end-of-care patients, uh, term, you know, terminally ill patients, to use magic mushrooms. Um, and of course, as a company and me personally, we totally applaud that decision and, awesome. and think it's unreal. Um, not to exploit it in any way and now try to sound like capital, Todd, here, but this is really the path that cannabis took in Canada, where in yeah. 2001, they granted cannabis for terminally ill patients, went into the medical side of things being prescribed, and then it was eventually, you know, legalized recreationally. So, you know, in a way that does, as you know, to answer your question, it's, yes, it's taken notice. It's set like opened up the door for these talks. There was an article, uh, some doctors are now grouping together saying, we want to prescribe magic mushrooms here in Canada. Um, that just came out yesterday, a report of a group of doctors who did that. Oregon, there's a big vote happening on November 3rd uh, in your country. And, yeah. and, you know, they're going to try to uh, decriminalize it, but then also be, allow for it to be prescribed medically to the best of my, my, my uh, knowledge. And then, you know, what, what makes more sense than having an iMicrodose pack that you could, you know, prescribe to people. So 
listen, we're really excited what the future holds in store. And, and Scott, you know, I think people are open to these talks and I think more of the medical and scientific communities are as well. I just hope that they're honest about the approach on who can get access to it and how they get access to it. Because it would be a shame to me if it was only uh, to those who could get it prescribed through, through the medical system, because we all know that that's a tough process for a lot, for many. Yeah, you touch on an important point about access because as you've mentioned before, again, like people are going to do it. Like all, as has been proved with every drug, substance, vice in history, it doesn't matter if you make it illegal, people are going to do it, right? But I, I live in America. If I wanted to try this, I would have to either know somebody, I assume, or go on the internet and trust that wherever I'm getting it is real and quality. And that's a pretty big leap of faith, I think, for most people, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because for someone who's, who's been to America a ton of times, um, but haven't, I haven't been, I guess, since, uh, well, geez, probably about a year from, you know, because of COVID and everything, you know, and I hadn't been a few months before that. Um, it's really interesting because we're always so ingrained in your politics and your lifestyle and, you know, uh, you know, just being Canadians, you know, we're like that uh, forgotten, you know, stepchild or something, but I watch South Park. <laughs> I know exactly how it is there, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it's, I guess what I'm saying is I think that we as Canadians, maybe because of the true legalization of cannabis now felt way more comfortable in talking about the openness of, of drugs and, and, you know, we see what's happened with cannabis. Like, I, I'm still in disbelief that you're just not federally legalized for, for cannabis, right? Like, like I'm insane. in disbelief of that. It's insane. It's, a, it's in, like, I, I just don't, and I heard uh, Biden yesterday actually said he, he would decriminalize it, I believe, uh, across every state. And um, uh, I still think Trump should have a wild card and just go confuse everybody last day going, I'm legalizing marijuana. <laughs> it, would, it would help. It would help. He, would, he wouldn't lose a single voter if he did that. Right. He might gain quite a few. <laughs> um, so, it's so, you know, I guess to answer your question is like when it comes to drugs and how you would access it or try it, I think in Canada, people would say, ah, oh, Lord, online. I'm, you know, it's illegal, but they'd find that websites to do it. Uh, whereas me now as a company are like, well, you know, hopefully one day in three to five years, you can order for me legally. And, yeah, and I would that's just what worry I, about ordering it online and somebody sends me like, something crazy, you know, um, and you just don't get, uh, it, it just, it's a big leap of faith, I, I guess. And so it, obviously we need to see it become legal and regulated for it to reach any sort of mainstream adoption, but it's amazing how many people talk about it and do it here. So it's not like they're not getting it. At, listen, people are getting it and, and, uh, people, well, listen, people get cocaine if they want it, you know, like, yeah. it's just, it's so interesting how, how, if you want access to something, you're going to find a way to get it. And uh, I, I'm uh, under the belief, much like your paper when you were 17 years old about legalized prostitution, it's like legalize the stuff so we can regulate it. I mean, in Portugal, they decriminalized uh, all drugs a few years back and they used to spend out of 100% of a budget, they used to spend 90% on, on enforcing and, and policing and all this stuff and then 10% on rehabilitation. And when they decriminalized it, they simply reversed that and they spent 90% on rehabilitation and education and 10% on a little bit of policing and deaths were down, overdoses were down, addiction. Like it is so it's, it's so obvious. I'm just thinking now back to when I was literally 17, like in my baggy <laughs> oversized, probably like bar mitzvah suit from years before standing up there talking about how they would be able to like regulate the testing of STDs with prostitutes in the United States and wondering how the hell my parents let me uh, get up there and do that. I was very popular. 
<laughs> well, listen, you should have stuck Everybody in politics. Everybody there knew who I was. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. You should have stuck in politics. Oh, but politics is terrifying. It's funny. I actually, uh, today, I just uh, finished recording with Brock Pierce, who you may be familiar with, but he's running for president in the United States. And we talked about that and how much it opens up your background, especially if you have like as colorful a background as he does to just crazy scrutiny and uh, whatever. So I don't know that I would, I think politics is a little too terrifying for me, although it's crossed my mind in the past. You know, what's really interesting, though, like about the opening up the backgrounds is, you know, part of me, um, listen, I like, you know, being being a, a, as a radio personality, as you know, for, for so many years, like I shared so much of my life in my real life. And listen, a lot of it wasn't, you know, very pretty. Some of the stuff I shared and, and uh, at times, you know, we were more shock jockey and weren't as compassionate or, or, or weren't as, you know, showing We've as much empathy. There. We, yeah. and, and, but that's it. And this is the thing about, like, I'm so sick of politics finding stuff from 20 years ago and saying, well, that's who you are today because... You're so different. We're so, that this is what involvement is. This is what growth is. This is what education and learning and getting a, becoming hopefully a better human being is. Uh, and I just think it's so, it's very discouraging, as you know. Um, and and uh, I don't know, it's, it, I, the smear campaigns and this and that, like, what are we actually teaching our children? So I don't know, man, I, I don't want to sound corny because it's not like I'm a big, you know, tree hugger either, but I just like, where's the balance here to like, people make mistakes. We fucked up once in a while. Can't we become better? And can't we just say, yeah, we've grown from that. That was a, that was a terrible decision. No 40 year old should be judged on their college self. I mean, it's just, it's, It seems like that should be obvious, but like, I didn't know shit about anything until I was in my late thirties. I mean, I don't think I made a single good responsible decision until I was already married and on my way to kids. Everything else was just like, what could I do to have the most fun or or maximize my enjoyment? Which by the way, wasn't the reality of what was probably the most fun as you touched on earlier with the (laughs) bottle service and stuff. I mean, (laughs) you did what you perceived to be fun, you know? Um, But yeah, it's really unfortunate that like we all, and largely because of social media, we somehow have to answer for our, our past. I mean, I've definitely, I've been on Twitter since 2008. I don't delete all my old tweets, but I'm sure there's some stuff there I wouldn't be too oh. proud of, but hey, hey, here we are, you know. Uh, it, it's, and you know, you said it best because everyone has something that I'm sure they regret. Nobody is a perfect angel. And it amazes me the hypocrisy and the fact that people don't want to say, hey, let's start with me first and then worry about others as opposed to starting with everybody else. And, and well, I've done nothing wrong. And, you know, I remember seeing a concert way in the day, you too. Um, I remember, I, I think this is what the sign said. It was like they had a sign right at the concert. This would have been like in the, probably the early 2000s actually. And it said, everyone is racist, but you. And, and, you know, they, you know, it was like, it was a way of them already like predicting all this stuff. Like you can blame everybody else for everything but yourself. And, uh, you know, like look to how you can be a better person first. And, 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 you know, like not to tie it back into a cheesy plug here, but maybe microdosing is, is what that does for you. In my opinion, it might be able to help you become a better person too, and not just want to blame others. So how, I mean, how does this, uh, we touched on it earlier, but how does this become like a worldwide phenomenon? Is it just, is is it jurisdiction by jurisdiction and country by country and they fall like dominoes or is there some other way to circumvent that long and ridiculous process? 
Yeah, I think that it, it takes time. I mean, it's still a speculative industry. It's very nascent. And, uh, you know, obviously I would like everyone to go and support it, but, you know, it takes time to build a business and it takes time for governments to come around to allow this type of business into their countries. So country by country, lobbying effort by lobbying effort, hopefully more people get behind it. Those social movements I spoke of earlier. And listen, I could see this like a Red Bull one day. You know, Red Bull took years to build. You're from the club scene, you know. Gives me wings. Yeah. And, and, you know, started off as a, as a small, like, uh, you know, the, the Austrian owner, I forget his name now, found it in, you got it? Thailand, I think. But oh, all I know is that yeah. the, I, I'm not sure if it was Thailand, but this is so crazy that you're talking about this because the first time I had Red Bull ever, I was in Amsterdam at a club and it was like in a vial. It wasn't the a glass drink. It was like, bottle. it was in a the vial. Screw top. Yeah. Little screw top glass vial. And they poured it into my vodka. I was at some club to like, three o'clock the next day and I was drinking Red Bull the whole time. I was literally just drinking like alcohol and Red Bull and I stayed up for like a day and a half and I couldn't believe it. I thought it was the greatest thing that was ever invented, but that was in Amsterdam. They were ahead of that. They were the first place that I can recall hearing about it outside of, I think it was, I think it was literally like the Red Bull, it was the logo and then it was written in Thai. Yep. It's so funny, man. Like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of all in the serendipitous stuff and, you know, weird connections, but I didn't actually try my first one in Amsterdam, but I landed in Amsterdam and I flew from Amsterdam. Um, I would have been, I guess, about 18 years ago and I flew to um, Greece and I tried my first one in Mykonos, um, but on the same trip, like just, you know, so really it's funny you say that. Um, yeah, I think it was probably 2000 or 2001 for me. <laughs> We might have crossed paths in Amsterdam. Yeah. <laughs> um, what an amazing place to go visit at that age, though. I mean, oh, it's yeah. still such just an amazing city on so many levels. Um, but uh, it's cool that you get to do business there. And uh, I mean, COVID's got to be a huge issue for you. But how much time do you generally try to spend over there? Yeah, I just got back from there. Um, I was there for... So from Canada, we can still fly out to the EU. Um, I don't think you can out, out of... You guys are allowed to do stuff. That's cool. <laughs> we, yeah, we can move. Cool. We're, not, we're not in <laughs> lockdown. Um, I, and, and listen, I flew. I was a little anxious. I'm not going to lie. I was like actually super anxious to fly. I wouldn't fly right now, personally, if I unless I had to, you know. But I put on like the scarf and the mask over the scarf. You know, listen, once I got on the plane... Actually, no, the first week I was very anxious is the truth. Um, and then I microdosed a ton over there. I was like, ah, oh, listen, I'm growing Go a business. Like full, full Star Wars sand people on the plane. And just- yeah, that's exactly, that's actually exactly what I look like. Um, and, and I love beyond Amsterdam, I actually love the country, the Netherlands, like, like yeah. the, I love the directness. I love their, they're very educated, you know, they're very, um, just fun to talk to. They're very communicative and, and you know, they like conversation They're I love directness in people and uh, beautiful people. They're all beautiful. They're yes. really beautiful. <laughs> intimidating. Yeah. Very, very intimidating. Um, and, and as you said, open. So the, the traveling was good. And the only thing I was scared, scared of is at the time, no one cared to wear masks or anything. Like they were, I was sort of like way more, you know, protective over on this side of things. And, uh, but the microdosing for me helped just like, listen, I'll just be careful. What else can I do? You fly over there and you can do your own pro- product legally. It's a nice, nice, that, uh, yes. nice bonus. So is the focus now on expanding within the Netherlands first and basically just dominating the entire country and then from there expanding as, as possible? 
Totally. And that's a neat thing about having some capital behind you is you can put marketing dollars into it. So you can sort of bring awareness to maybe an industry that wasn't really aware outside of the psychedelic supporters. And, and you know, we want to hit that kettle one drinker. We want to hit the Moe drinker. We want to, you know, really bring it into a young professional, a creative, uh, you know, mind, a young CEO, uh, you know, into family, family people. So like, let's like normalize this and, and uh, let people tell us themselves what they feel about it. Our whole sort of campaign, I don't have it here, is like about I microdose because we want to find out from you what it is why you like to microdose. We can't really tell you why it is. So we want to hear what it is from you that you experience. And yeah, let's hit like, you know, we, we, we want to put some money into, you know, influencers and careful ways of kind of underground cool marketing. It's not like we're going to do radio or TV ads or anything, but, you know, get it out there. And the truffle industry itself seems to be very supportive of us coming into play here um, because of the fact that we are, we are opening it up to, at least more eyes. And, you know, like if I was uh, making jeans uh, and, and I could promote jeans uh, to new people, they would end up buying other brands of jeans too, I'm sure. So I think they're excited. Right, of course. That. Yeah. I mean, the, the rising tide, right? I mean, yes, the, yes. Legal, any path towards legalization or more of these products being seen as mainstream, is good for you, I would have to imagine. I want to ask you a question because um, yeah, it's something we're talking about uh, in internally as a company right now on, on the website where you can buy it only in the Netherlands. Um, I want to accept Bitcoin. So it's one of the things we're going through. You know, what do you, what's your advice to, um, you know, new young companies about using uh, Bitcoin as a sort of a payment uh, processing plan? Well, you're lucky you're not in the United States, I would say, because, um, you know, every sale of Bitcoin, every time you transact in Bitcoin here, it's a buy or sell and becomes a taxable transaction. So it's a little bit of a headache to do it in the US, but I don't think that's the case in most places. There's actually an amazing company that I'm working with for just that type of thing for my newsletter. So my newsletter, I accept crypto like manually on the side, but we're trying to find a way to do a recurring subscription and, you know, have it be automated so I don't have to like remind these people for $15 a month that like, they need to pay because the main system's automated. And they're building that for me. It's a company called Utrust. Um, and that's what they do. They do uh, Bitcoin and crypto gateways, probably a huge layup for you guys because you're not uh, based in the U.S., but uh, most people who accept it in the United States, like Coinbase, I know has a way that you can, you know, you accept Bitcoin, it immediately converts to dollars and it comes into your account as dollars so that you don't have to deal with the, like uh, sorting out the taxable part of it. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I will put you in touch with those guys because they're like building this custom solution for me, but they're already with like tens and tens of thousands of people around the world as the gateway for accepting crypto. I, I think it's so so important that businesses open the door to that. Even if people don't uh, transact in it initially, A, it's a great marketing tool for you just to be the one who's doing it. And uh, by the way, like what you're doing goes hand in hand with the crypto mentality, right? And B, it's just, it's the future. I mean, money's going to be digital one way or another. So you need to, need to start accepting it. There's a lot of companies that do it, but uh, I mean, I just happen to have a personal relationship with them because they're doing it for me and it's awesome. And I mean, they have like, like I said, I mean, hundreds of thousands of, of people transact uh, through them, but you got to do it. No, that's great advice. And then I'll follow up for sure with you right after this. Um, do you, so we're, we're like what you're obviously a very bullish kind of, you know, crypto guy and I've been following. I love, I mean, I love, I love how you do it. You're, you're, I love your social media. I just think it's really good. And your following you. is phenomenal. And, and obviously, um, you know, people like your genuine approach, but your brain too. Um, 
you're, you're obviously you're bullish, but like really bullish. Like, like you know, what are your thoughts? I, I, I ask I, because I, 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 I dare not like do the bold price predictions because sure. like it just. But that that's like I, I think the stigma of like if you're super bull, you have to be out there saying like it's going to be 100k next week or something. I, I'm like now I'm just very bullish on it conceptually, like the importance of it with what we see with governments and all the just insanity of monetary policy and just the way that the world is going. Like, I think you just need to have a little something to yourself that they can't take away at the very bottom level. So regardless of the price of it, I think it has a true value to each person as like, I mean, you know, I, I think uh, I had someone on the show called, named Mark Yusko. I think he called it schmuck insurance. Um, and I think that that was a pretty apt definition, but I'm also very bullish on price. I don't know when or how or what, and I don't know what will stand in the way. Same. I mean, like I said, it's very, a lot of parallels to what you're doing. There's the government regulation could stop it or, you know, slow it. I should say, I don't think it could stop it. But like, I think that if you invest in Bitcoin now and maybe a couple others, you'll be very, very happy in 10, 20 years. I have it. Very um... bullish. Oh, I mean, I, and I like to hear that it's like an investment, like long term. You know, it's like it's like what a Buffett would say about uh, you know a company he would put money into. Do you? Um, because I used to follow it, but you know, just been so distracted with with the business and the kids and everything, so I haven't really been doing as much research as I used to do. But uh, like, is there still, um, you know, volume and trading? Like, is it is it is it is it, you know is that still pretty yeah. strong? Yeah, it's 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 uh, increased, and I think there's a lot more institutional and big money that's uh, either here or interested. It's interesting. In 2017, obviously, we were all here for the mega bubble trend, where it was like your hairdresser was telling you to buy Ripple, and you know your <laughs> Uber driver was talking about the future of money. Um, we don't hear that now, right? And there's no like real narratives, but the price is still over ten thousand dollars a Bitcoin. So to me. Huh. It's a much more real and authentic movement this time. It's like the real money. There's no real like FOMO and, and hype around it in that way. And also, you hear about it every day now. It, it's where you want to be with microdosing, right? Where it just like there's an article about it and it doesn't even like change stuff much because it's become part of the accepted vernacular. It's a real asset that people consider, you know, it, you just don't hear that like it's going to zero and it's going to die crap anymore. I think it's just being viewed as a store of value and a nice hedge that people can put some money away for the long term. It's actually a great analogy you just gave me that I never even thought of. You know, looking at, well, one sort of a tangible product you consume, you know, it, it is a very similar, you're right, feel where it's like, it's a word that people know. Yeah, in 2016, like, if like, yeah. if Bitcoin was mentioned in Forbes, the price would change by like $2,000. And now it's mentioned in Forbes and CNBC and stuff every day, right? I mean, yeah. and you know, like and there's big companies like Fidelity that are the hugely bullish on this that are some of the you know largest financial companies in the country. So I think that um, I think it's in a, just a really really good place. I think that fear of it like dying has somewhat dissipated, even though I never had that fear. You know, I think that that was a certainly a public perception. So I I mean I just think it's a just a really, really important part of the financial system. And one very small way, I guess, to control something that's your own and to sort of have your also, I guess, your silent protest against this ridiculous system. Of course, yeah, decentralize it. And and do you think that um, 
voting should be like on a blockchain? Like, do you think that 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 should be a possibility in in terms of what we're seeing now with election fraud and craziness going on there? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, it, 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 our voting system is insane. There's people waiting 12 hours online to cast a vote, and it's like three weeks till the election. Um, and we have all the controversy around mail-in ballots. I mean, why do we even have mail anymore? Okay, anyways, but like, why is mail a thing? Like, why do yeah. I go out to my mailbox and get like 17 spam things from catalogs and garbage? I mean, nobody wants to see that. But Brock Pierce told me that today or yesterday, the first ever vote was cast on a phone on the blockchain legally in the United States in Idaho or something. It was either oh. Wyoming, Idaho, Colorado. I'm, I'm blanking. And it's actually, that's being done here. At least one vote was cast that way in some manner. I need to look into it. And it was literally, it's like on my agenda, look into that. And I, wow. I got on with you. Um, so yes, I mean, why wouldn't you want your votes to be secure and provable and accessible and easier? Like, why do I have to go to a voting booth to vote? Really? Yeah, no, I listen, I, 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 in concurrence with you clearly. And uh, I, I just wish that um, individuals who understand the types of things that we're st- uh, talking about, I wish that it, it could be somehow, I don't know, it just feels like there's so much greed in everything that that's what limits this real true success. And, and uh, it's just a shame. I'm sort of rambling, but it's a shame that there aren't more visionaries that go, wow, why aren't we fixing flawed systems? Why aren't I we fi- helping human beings all across the board? Well, I think that fixing those flawed systems is bad for the people that are uh, running those systems. <laughs> How much yeah, money sadly. do people need, though? That's the other thing. You know, like, this is what I don't understand. Yeah, anyway. but, yeah, money and power. And, you know, when you're a politician at the top of the line, the easiest way to maintain your position is not to change much. Yeah, you you're know, right. To, you're... to, to keep, keep the slog through the mud. And I, and I think that that's a big part of it. And that's not a, uh, I don't think that's a partisan statement. I think it's just the nature of the machine that's been built. And I think uh, we're way past uh, there being much interest in fixing it from the people who are benefiting from it. Yeah. And listen, the only thing I'll say is I, I sometimes think to myself, I'm like, what happens if one day, you know, I became a billionaire? Would I still think the same way that I think now that if I became a billionaire, I'd give more back, I'd be a nicer human being? Or would I be more paranoid? Would I be more, you know, you go greedy with the money? And would I, because so many people are coming after you from it, or the governments are trying to take it away. So like, I sometimes do think that, you know, while we, 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 maybe stereotype how billionaires are greater powers. Does that mean that we wouldn't be that way either? You know, I like to think like that. I would still like, I'd like to think I'd be a better human, but I don't know. Uh, you know, I hope so. There's a famous saying, I don't remember the exact quote, but it's basically that money amplifies who you are. It doesn't change you. You know, they say money ah. changes you, but it really amplifies you. So a dickhead becomes like 10 times the dickhead with 10, 10 times the money. Fair enough. <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and a good person probably doesn't become a bad person because they get money. But I think that it probably, if you're, if you're somewhat paranoid, it probably markedly amplifies your paranoia. And if you're a really a do-gooder, you probably have that internal guilt where you're rich and need to give it all away. Or, you know, I, I can't speak to it because I, I'm not a billionaire, but uh, I, I think it just makes you a more amplified version probably of what you are, would be my, yeah. my assessment. And so honestly, more, man... Yeah. I was going to say more hats and more Air Jordans. Yeah, well, I would have so many Jordans, but <laughs> I, I've actually been getting rid of those over the year. It's like I'm down to just like the the core classic retro, like threes, fours and fives and stuff. Some ones, the ones that I loved when I was a kid and couldn't have, you know? Yeah. It's um, so funny, man. 
Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, I think that the billionaires will be the ones that the, and I had this, this came up with Brock too and on a lot of podcasts, but that's who like the people with the pitchforks are coming for first. Yeah. So they should want, they should want the change into, you know, a happier society and, and to fix the systems because at the end of the day, we've seen it for years, you can only build so many walls and buy so many guns and things. If the entire system collapses and your money is in that system and your possessions are in that system, does it, you know, I mean, look at the, you know, World War II. I mean, whole societies of rich people had their possessions stripped from them and sent off, you know, and doesn't matter. Didn't matter how rich or powerful you were. Uh, listen, I, I, um, I, I don't want to get too conspiracy-ish and stuff, but, uh, you know, I read all these things and, you know, even in Canada, I saw someone did a report on how they ordered like 36,000 uh, cans of tear gas and, and set up land for internment camps and stuff. And like, I'm like, really? Like, you know, like just... Like stuff nothing would surprise me. Yeah, like, I mean, I'm I don't not know saying if it's true. Yeah, I'm not, I'm saying, not saying it's true, true it's either. I just not like out of the realm know, of possibility in my mind. I mean, yeah, you watch like the you know you go deep down in the YouTube sort of vortexes and things, and it, it is a shame that um, you know there's a lot of human beings on this planet, okay, and it, and it's tough to create equality for all of them. Let's be honest, and and I also don't think you should take away a work ethic and and a drive in people, and I don't think that a being a capitalist is an evil thing, but you got to be able to find some balance in it all. And, and I don't necessarily know if like universal basic income is that balance, but I would like to think that the balance is a combination of just taking care of human beings who, you know, need taking care of right now while, you know, creating this equality and, and a basis for people to work hard and achieve success uh, with, without yeah. limiting that. And it sounds easy to yeah. say in two sentences, but you know, well, I, I don't think that like uh, anyone has a monopoly on talent, right? I think there's equal talent everywhere in the world. So the thing that's lacking is opportunity and access. So yeah. even whether it's about healthcare, UBI, I don't know. I have mixed feelings on, on, on those, some, some topics, but at the end of the day, like everybody should have the same opportunity to, uh, you know, be their best self. I mean, that would be true capitalism in theory, right? Is that, uh, Everybody has a fair shot. Go, go make it happen. But there's, that doesn't really exist in this world, right? I mean, there's very few people have the real access and the opportunity yep. to, to, get, to get lucky, right? To be in the situation where you can have luck. Because if you live in the middle of Africa somewhere and you're the best programmer or, or the, you would be the Elon Musk over there, but, nobody, but you can't even get someone on the phone, it doesn't matter, right? So... Yeah. And again, you know, this is uh, interesting, but, you know, we're so back to the self-indulgement aspect of human beings right now. It's like, you know, sometimes people forget how bad others have it too, you know? So, you know, stop, stop crying, you know, and playing a victim too much and think about, my God, there's a lot of people on this planet that are worse off than you and you do have this opportunity. So, you know, I think guys like us come from very humble beginnings. I don't know you very well, but I feel like we're telling very similar stories where my rich friends could afford the Jordans that I couldn't. And that's exactly why I got them later in life. Like, exactly. I think that's. I, I had one pair of fives, <laughs> and I have like one picture of me from childhood wearing these fives. It's like my favorite picture. I was like, I did have Jordans. I had a pair. <laughs> but, you know, like, so, so it's a good balance. And uh, I, I hope. I hope we figured out for our children. And, and you know, I, I believe that um, what we're doing one day could hopefully help be a part of that process and helping with some mental health. And I hope that could be proven out. I think that's a big aspect of it. And I hope that, you know, through helping with people's mental health allows people minds to open up on all sides saying like, let's, let's just be, you know, better to each other here and figure it out, man. But it's a long way to go. And you're, you're, you're leaders, man. They are vicious. <laughs> I, it's a, I, 
I don't even want to know what you guys think of us. <laughs> well, we're too, we're too caught up in it. I like my dad is obsessed. Like CNN's on. I know you get a run soon. Sorry. Um, no, my dad's actually. like, yeah. oh, okay, cool. He's like, doesn't stop. See, and I'm like, dad, how is this changing your day to day? Like, like it's, it, it will not impact your day to day. It's also not news. It's, it's interpretation of events. Yes. Right? It's, it's somebody's hot take on what's happening and is not actually news. When we were young, like they reported news. You had like these serious Dan Rather and Peter Jennings guys up there who just told you what happened and then they didn't invite in seven experts who know nothing about everything to discuss the nuance. It's just, yeah. I mean, it's just not news. It's just not news. It's, it's, it's you know, daily no. talk show. Yeah, it's it's exactly. It's like entertainment tonight, but which is politics. And uh, I, I don't know, man. I, I I wonder if there's, you know, listen, I, I like to think of everything in life as a chart, as like a stock chart or an or a altcoin chart or Bitcoin chart. And, you know, there's there's balances, you know, there's like there's turns, there's pivots, there's there's just, you know, eventually I think something has to change. Like, like just on a chart perspective. Yeah, they all trend up if you're talking about the markets in general. So, I mean, yeah. It's like, uh, as you talked about, like the all, social change is coming. Like I don't, whatever political side you're on, you're going to be on the wrong side of history in 50 years if you're not on the right side of these social issues. Yeah, I'm not even saying yes. that you're right or wrong, but the train has left the station. So it's like you said, it's like a chart, you know, it's like the Great Depression was this big uh, valley. But if you look at the Dow Jones chart, it does nothing but up if you zoom out far enough. And gay marriage and, and, you know, mar marriage equality and, and things like that, these social issues, they're, they're only going in one direction, right? That's, I mean, a, that's actually a really great, great way to look at it. it it's got to chart up. It might be really bad for 10 or 20 years, yeah. you know, and it might try to reverse, but I think it's, it's proven. I mean, you look at the history of, I mean, we went from slavery in this country to women's suffrage to equal rights. I mean, these obvious things are going to happen with time. It's just a matter of time. And in our so, lifetime, yeah. I mean, I remember I was in New York City the day that they like legalized gay marriage and like was at work DJing at a club, like in a predominantly gay neighborhood. And it was like, I mean, it was like New Year's Eve for 10 days when that happened. And it was a, an amazing thing to see. And those things are not going to be reversed if temporarily, not permanently, I think. I just think that it, it only trends up. Well, we need more, uh, you know, not that we're not young anymore, but more younger people like leading the charge here because... So young. Feel young. <laughs> yeah. Dude, uh, what a world we live in. But yeah, hopefully it becomes better. And, and, and you know, uh, such admiration in those who fight for it to, to, to get better. For sure. It's a lot of great people out there who... who so really quick, I know we are definitely up against yeah. it, but I just something came to my mind. You were talking about, you know, hopefully it'll be better for our kids. So... You talk about obviously like being in a space of psychedelics. How do you like in a world where maybe it's not so wildly, widely accepted as your kids get older and become teenagers, if it's still that sort of, how do you explain to them what you do for a living? Yeah, I love that question. Um, Listen, I, I, I'm, uh, you're very good at like, you, just, you joked when we started that uh, how I was the radio, <laughs> you're awesome, man. This is great, great stuff. Um, because I've said I'd love that question a lot of times, the great questions. But, you know, listen, I'm just, I'm really a very open book. Um, and, and, you know, even my wife might disagree with my parenting style um, because I treat my five-year-old sometimes maybe even too adult-like. Um, so I just talk to him about what I'm doing in life as I'm doing it. And, and he might not grasp it or understand it. And some might think that's irresponsible, but I think, well, at least I never lied to him. So, you know, and everything comes down to information and education. So it's how you can in, in, you know, each year they, you know, I already think the five-year-old's like 
brighter than I was when I was 12. I don't know if you feel like that, that with your kids. <laughs> 22 yeah yeah like it's, it's actually insane that their ability to retain knowledge and sort of grasp it and actually understand things i think it's the emotional stuff they don't understand for a very long time of course. But information they actually process quite sponge. well sponge yeah sponge there it's it's unreal and um you know I, I i think that though much like we might have thought of as cannabis like wow this stuff's going to be legal one day and yet here it is in my country and a lot of your states and stuff and you know, like, this is how I think he's going to look at psilocybin now. So why not let him, you know, understand it? And uh, like, listen, I, you know, he, he knows that daddy has taken a microdose and right. I, you know, but by the way, he shouldn't think that is any different as, as a, a big cup Having of coffee drink. in the morning. Well, yeah, you know, a cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah for sure. So yeah, yeah, you know, it's just a matter of stigma. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, and I think it's a generational thing as well. I'm sorry, mom and dad for saying this. I'm, I'm, I'm outing them. But I remember my parents telling me a story that like my mom said, you know, they only smoked weed once and they got paranoid and someone like tried to jump out the window. You know, they were like hippies, March on Washington, everything. But then like that story came up another night and my mom told it. My dad was like, we weren't smoking weed. We were smoking hash. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, you know, you smoked weed one time, but you, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah but so, but I think that you know, like that that generation would never share with their children, and most of our generation wouldn't share with their parents probably what they have uh, experienced. But I think that obviously times are changing. Yeah, and, you know, and the and, interesting uh, thing is the, and I brought it up earlier, and, and listen, I have two and maybe three glasses of wine almost every night. Like I drink, I like my wine because it just helps take a little bit of an edge off for me, but I think that is the worst. And it's so ironic because that's the thing that, oh, your kid's like 10, have a sip of the beer. You know, like everyone's done that. Like this yeah. is the worst in my, statistically worst proven substance. the worst, yeah. adding smoking, obviously cigarettes, but like, so, you yeah, know, you get it, no joy from smoking a cigarette. That's like a complete waste of health. <laughs> oh, like I know, I know it's not even a pleasure product really, although some say it is, but yeah. listen, uh, just be honest with the kids is what I say. I don't care. And they're, they're going to figure it out and learn about it anyway. So, but it, but yeah. you know, I, you know, it's not to say, Hey man, go try it. No, this is daddy stuff, you know, and let them figure it out later. Like yeah, what this is call it. adult beverage, right? Yeah, yeah. I got it. Well, <laughs> so where can everybody uh, follow you and keep up with uh, red light? What you guys are doing. Thank you so much, Scott. So, um, I, I guess we're at redlighttruffles.com and that's kind of our corporate page uh, and a little bit of, you know, what, what we see is the vision of the future. But, you know, if you are in the Netherlands, we're at imicrodose.nl where you can buy our product only in the Netherlands if you're 18 plus. And then on Twitter, um, I'm just, it's an old radio name and, you know, I could tell you about it another day. But I it's, saw uh, it. <laughs> At I, I got to change. I don't know because I don't. It might. I love make, it. You got to keep it you. forever. I, I guess I have to. I am. I am Toddy Tickles. So uh, Todd Shapiro is my name. Toddy Tickles was an old radio name. I stuck with it. Like I, you know, joined when you did around a wait or something, and it just stayed with me. So uh, I am Toddy Tickles, and then I think we're at at Red Light Holland and at. Um, imicrodose.nl or just imicrodose nl and then if you're into the stocks and and you know please do your due diligence everybody uh, i'll never give you projections or financial advice or any of that stuff but it is uh, trip, t, t r i p on the cse and then truff t r u f f on the otc on the pinks and we're trying to uplist onto the otc qb and then if you're in germany 4yx but uh, listen we got a good team of people behind us and uh really really excited about just starting uh, this this business and trying to grow it to the point where i think we all we all see where the vision goes one day. 
Awesome. And we're going to talk offline more about this because I definitely want to dig dig in deeper to what you guys are doing. But I, I have to just say, this is definitely one of my favorite conversations I've had by far. Definitely the most comfortable because sometimes, as you know, as a radio host, like sometimes it's just very difficult to get there, you know, uh, with, with someone when you're asking them questions and stuff. So I appreciate uh, your openness and how comfortable uh, it was made it a real pleasure for me to talk to you. <laughs> oh, no, Scott, I'm grateful. I mean, I, I just, you know, I think I started following about four or five months ago and um, I just, you got this great way about you and uh, it's, it's, it comes across as real. And I, I love people who are self-deprecating, but confident. And uh, I, I think you, you're nailing it in, and you got a great, you got a great, you're, you're, you got great engagement. Your people love you. So keep, keep kicking ass. And uh you know, hopefully you can keep making some of us money too, you know, with a little <laughs> newsletter. Thanks. Thanks, man. So uh, we will, uh, we'll revisit this down the road a little farther when uh, things progress. Thank Great. you again.